Yeah. You guys are so excited. Come on. It's the last week of wonder. This has been a just really fun journey for me. Um, but we're also going to have kind of part five on Friday, a short sermon about the Holy Spirit on Friday. So come for bonus features on Friday. Deleted scenes. No, I'm kidding. But come on Friday. It's going to be a lot of fun. So one thing that I'm incredibly thankful for in my life is I have a really good relationship with both my parents, um, and I've had a pretty great relationship with both of them my whole life. And I know that's not the case for all of us here, uh, so just know that I sympathize with you. But just for the sake of the story, uh, I just want to share that. So uh, my dad taught me uh, what it's like to be a good father. So some of our dads have never said I love you to us. For some reason, men struggle with that. So guys... There's a lot of guys over here. Tell your kids you love them when you have kids. I know that seems like a long ways away, but it's not that far away. So tell them you love them. But anyways, my dad always told me that he loved me. And my mom, uh, she was a fiery, she is a fiery, passionate person. I'm a fiery, passionate person, if you haven't gotten that by now. So uh, me and her would fight a little bit, but we loved each other a lot. There's one time, uh, it was a Saturday afternoon, I'm in the kitchen, and we're going at it, back and forth fighting. She's making a sandwich, and I hate I hate mayonnaise. I just, I do not like mayonnaise. I don't like a lot of condiments. I'm just not that kind of guy. She's so mad at me, she takes the sandwich and just chucks it right at my face. <laughs> mayonnaise just going across my face. And I was so upset, I went in the bathroom and looked at my, okay, so this was a long time ago. I was pretty young. But anyways, I look in the bathroom mirror and I just cry and look at myself, the mayonnaise, the mayonnaise. <laughs> and so that is the kind of relationship uh, my mom and I have. It is the kind of relationship we have, uh, but it always ends with a hug and forgiveness. Uh, we love each other so much, but there's that passion that causes us to fight. But something about my dad growing up is uh, like he could never get that mad. So he would always let my mom just get mad at us, and he would be the fun parent. So I can remember times where me and my mom would be fighting, and dad would be almost home from work, and I would get this hopeful anticipation that dad's going to come home, going to pick me up, and then all this stuff I got in trouble for is going to go away. And uh, my dad poured concrete for a living when I was growing up. So during the summers, he wouldn't get home until like 8 o'clock at night. And I can remember just waiting for him to come home. And every time he'd come home, he'd come through the garage door and then up into the kitchen, and I would just sprint into his arms. He'd be so dirty from pouring concrete, and I'd just jump into his arms and be so happy that Dad is home. And as I was thinking about this message, I couldn't help but think about that feeling I had as a kid, because tonight we're going to talk about how Jesus is going to return to earth. And and. I, to be honest with you, if I can be vulnerable, I don't always look forward to it. You know, I think of things like Left Behind. Have you seen that movie? I think it sounds really scary, and I don't always look forward to Jesus returning. And sometimes I hold on too much to my worldly life right now. There's things I enjoy, like my wife, uh, my family, my friends, and I think, you know, when Jesus comes back, that those things might change. So sometimes I don't actually hope for that. In the early church, that was foreign to the early church because they were being persecuted, killed for their faith, and all they had to live for was the end, for Jesus to come back and return. They would uh, say things like, come quickly, Lord, come quickly. They would say that as they would leave their worship gatherings. Come quickly, Lord. That was the heart of the early church. But in the church today, in America, we struggle with wanting the Lord to come back because our lives are pretty good for the most part. We get everything we want for the most part compared to the rest of the world. And it's a struggle at times. But tonight, I just want to kind of stir the coals of your heart, try to kind of get them burning a little bit and excited for the return of the Lord, because it's truly a great thing. If you're a Christian, you have an incredible hope. The hope is this, not that you're going to go and sit on a cloud and play a harp. That's not the hope, although you've seen that in your cartoons, if you still watch cartoons. But the hope 
is that Jesus is going to defeat evil. He's going to defeat sin, death, everything that's made this world go wrong. And he will raise our bodies from the dead. Like, we're going to have bodies. Can you believe that? Like, like maybe you thought your soul, like, flies off into some heaven. No, we're going to have bodies. Our bodies will be raised from the dead. Jesus will judge the living and the dead. And for those who have put their faith in Christ, we'll get to be with Jesus on a recreated earth for all of eternity. It'd be much like this, but a better version of it. So you're not going to be sitting, floating around in a cloud. Instead, we're actually going to do similar things to what we do now, but in a perfected version of it. So I encourage you tonight to get excited about heaven. It's not something that's going to be boring. You're not going to think, oh, this is eternity. This is getting really boring. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be filled with wonder, with joy, perfect community. I'm really excited for heaven, and I pray that tonight that you would be too. So the last three weeks, we've been in this series called Wonder. And the first week, we talked about, so the heart of the series, first of all, is just that God would stir that childlike faith and wonder in our hearts. Because if you've been in the church for any amount of time, uh, these basic truths of Christianity sometimes just get kind of old to us. Like, we've heard about the cross too many times. We've heard about God being able to do the impossible too many times. And for, or for whatever reason, it doesn't stir us like it once did. So the whole heart of this series has just been to take basic truths and try to reveal them to you in a new way so that God could stir your heart for wonder and to truly just walk outside once in a while and say, God, holy cow, you created all of this. That was the first week we talked about how God created everything, how, how God said, let there be light, and there was light. It's a marvelous thing, the creation story. We shouldn't just read Genesis 1 and 2 very quickly and be like, oh, I know the creation story. No, God spoke and things come into existence. So maybe your situation right now seems impossible, but God can speak and breathe life into it. He can change your situation in a moment. He can heal your body. He can do the impossible. Then the second week, we talked about Genesis 12. So there's this dude named Abraham. Maybe you heard of him. He's the father of the Jewish people. And God calls him out of his homeland and calls him to follow him. And then Abraham follows God and through Abraham comes the Jewish people, and, and that's the story of the Old Testament, really, is the story of the Israelites, the Jewish people. And then out of that family comes Jesus Christ, okay? So God uses this ordinary person named Abraham to do an extraordinary thing. And, and the application point we got from that is that God calls ordinary people like us in this room to save the world. God wants us to be like Abraham, to leave our old lives and to do what he's called us to do and to see him do impossible things through our lives. And then last week was amazing. We had Pastor Tony Meyer join us, and he talked about God's grace. He talked about how, how it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you've been in the church forever or you've never been in the church. God's forgiveness will never run out for you. That should give you profound peace and hope because I screw up a lot. And sometimes I think, okay, if this was up to me, I would not be getting into heaven. But instead, Jesus pays the penalty for my sin so I can experience this new heaven and earth that we're going to talk about tonight. So now tonight, we're going to talk about the end. We started in, in Genesis, and now we're going to end in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. This is the Revelation of John. So John the Apostle wrote this book, and, and there's a lot of confusion sometimes around this book. Well, first, let me give you the sermon title. The sermon title is The Wonder of Restoration. So that's our title tonight. But for or for Revelation 21, sometimes there's some confusion about this book. Because like I said, there, there's cultural things that kind of skew our view of it. We've watched too much left behind. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's all untrue. But we often think of Revelation as this you know, scary book about all the bad things that are going to happen. And we miss the hope that is in this book. 
So if you don't know much about it, don't worry. Not a lot of people do. People are still trying to understand it. And like I said, it's often thought of as a book that predicts the end times, but it also, uh, in the first few chapters, includes instructions from Jesus. Jesus is dictating a letter through John to the churches that existed at the time of his writings, around 100 years after the birth of Christ. John is writing these letters down, dictated through Jesus, telling the church, hey, stay on track in your faith, keep persevering through persecution. Like seriously, if you want to get wrecked, then read Revelation 1 two, and three. Like, Jesus will wreck you because he rebukes us a lot and says we're screwing up, and that sometimes is good for us to hear. So Revelation, the first few chapters are just Jesus speaking to us and saying, stay hot in your faith. Don't get lukewarm. Don't get cold. Keep pursuing me. Keep going for it. And then there's also there's some parts about the end times, okay? There's some things, like tonight we'll look at an end times uh, chapter in Revelation, tells us about the future, but then also, really, Revelation, what it was meant for, if, there's, like, if I could say in a sentence what its purpose was, it was really to encourage the persecuted church. Because at this time, the emperors of Rome are, are persecuting the church. They're, they're killing believers. They are putting them in, uh, in the, the Roman Colosseum, and they're getting tore up by lions. Like, some crazy stuff is happening to the church. And John is saying, Jesus is coming back, and he will redeem and he will set right every injustice. So when you experience injustice, when you see injustice happening around the world, this book is meant to encourage you to say that Jesus will have the final word. That's the ultimate purpose of the book. It's not to scare you into heaven. Its purpose is to encourage you to persevere in your faith. So also, okay, so in Revelation 21, so that's the whole book, but in Revelation 21, or 21 specifically, what happens right before this? So this is the chapter about the restoration of heaven and earth. But what happens right before this is Jesus judges the living and the dead. He defeats Satan. He throws him into the lake of fire. So that sounds really scary. I don't want to go there. But the lake of fire is what we would know as hell. He throws Satan in there. He defeats Satan and his um, comrades. He throws them into the lake of fire, and he judges the living and the dead. And those who trust Jesus, those who put their faith in him, get to be a part of this restoration. They get to be a part of this heaven and earth. So you may ask, how do I not get thrown into the lake of fire? Because we're probably all concerned about that, right? We don't want to be thrown into the lake of fire. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. Nobody wants to go to the lake of fire. And the way you can receive eternal life and not go into this place is by receiving forgiveness of sin through trust in Jesus. There's only one way to God. John 14 says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. So only through faith in Jesus Christ can you be saved. It doesn't matter how many good things you've done. It doesn't matter if you're better than your friend. The only way to heaven is through Christ. So if you've thought before you came in here today that, hey, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I'm better than my roommate. Like, I don't drink that much. I don't party that much. I don't sleep with that many girls. If that's what you've been thinking, I just encourage you to throw that away because heaven is not for good people. It's for people who trust in Jesus, who's the ultimate good one, okay? So that's the way you get there is through trusting in Christ. Heaven is a place for people who recognize that they cannot bring anything to God and they have to surrender to Jesus and get forgiveness and salvation through him. So let's read it now. It's Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. Jesus, so this judgment's happened, and now Jesus is recreating the heavens and the earth. Let's read it, verses 1 through 8. John saying this, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared 
as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice come from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. In this verse right here, just let this encourage you. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is where we're headed. And death shall be no more, and neither shall there be, or be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, Jesus Christ, says, Behold, I'm making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water, or spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, as for the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is a second death. So it starts on a great note, ends on a little bit of a sad note, but we'll unpack that a bit later. But the main idea tonight is this. God will restore everything that is broken. Every piece of this universe that is broken, God will restore it. He will set it right. Every injustice, every terrible thing that has happened, everything that has caused us to wonder where God is, he will come back and he will set it right. And he will restore all that is broken. And if this does not cause you to wonder and marvel before God, then I don't know what will. Because every time you watch the news and you see something terrible happen, Jesus says, I will not let that go unnoticed. I am going to come back and I'm going to set things right. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your presence in this place. Holy Spirit, I ask you that you would break through the walls that we built up in our hearts. Christians and non-Christians, or we've all built up walls in our hearts. God, I pray tonight that you would help us to get to the end of ourselves so we can see you. Take out all the distractions. Take out all the things that pull us away from our faith in you and help us to connect with you tonight. God, I pray that your word would encourage us, that it would inspire us, and also it would cause us to take our faith more seriously. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. There's going to be two points tonight, okay? And I'm going to just go through the verses and and give you the point. So I'm going to read verse 1 and 2 again just for sake of remembering it, because I know for me, the first time I read through something, I forget it usually, and I don't really understand it the first time. So let's read it again. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. All right, so the first thing tonight is this. God will restore the physical world by creating a new heavens and earth. God will restore the physical world by creating a new heavens and a new earth. So if you remember back to the first week of this series, so the first week back from Christmas break, we looked at the creation story as I talked about earlier, and God created this perfect earth. It was perfect. There's a sun, there's a moon, there's stars, there's oceans and land and vegetation and animals, this beautiful paradise. And to top it off, he creates man and woman, God's best creation. God saw everything he made. And he called it good. He says, this is very good. And this should encourage you, because when God created you, when God created the world in us, he said, it is good. The world is good. It's not like we're just trying to get away from here. God said, it is 
good. And then the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, experienced profound intimacy with God. Intimacy unlike we've never even gotten close to touching. This profound intimacy where they were naked, both physically and spiritually, before God. And there was no shame. There was, or there was no sin. They were able, when I say naked spiritually, I mean that they were able to be, or to be completely open and honest and real before God. In Genesis 3.8, it even says that God walked in the garden with them. Can you imagine just hanging out with Yahweh, God in the garden? Like, hey, what's up, Yahweh? Yahweh, what's up? Just hanging out in the garden. That's what's going on. But then Adam and Eve chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the one tree that God said you cannot eat that one, or cannot eat of that one. And by doing so, they chose the lesser pleasures of, of knowledge of sin and evil, instead of the pleasure that comes from obeying God. Can I just let you in on something? If you obey God, you're going to be much happier than if you disobey him, okay? God's commandments are for our good. He's not hiding anything from you. He's not saying, hey, I don't want you to do this because if you do this, it's going to be really fun. No, he's saying, I don't want you to do this because I know it's going to destroy your life. God's commandments are for our good. And with that choice, the world was introduced to the way we see it today. Sin, death, pain, loss, destruction, and now we experience the pain of some of our parents have had simple addictions, just addictions that have pulled them away from us. We've experienced that brokenness. Some of us are struggling with addictions in this place tonight. We've had to go through the pain of losing our loved ones. And we've had to watch the news as we see natural disasters ravage our world. And we've had to see tremendous evil take place across the earth. So the choice of Adam and Eve affected not only us, but it also affected creation. So creation is, is, is intention now. When you see those natural disasters, that's creation saying that things are not as they should be. And now we all, creation and humans included, live with the sense that this world is not the way that it should be. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, speaks to this in Romans chapter 8, verse 19 through 23. It'll be on the screen. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to fertility, and not, or not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, I want you to get this, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Creation is groaning, and not only the creation, but also ourselves. So our who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our, our adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. So I talked about the resurrection. That's what he's referring to there, the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies are not bad. God doesn't just want us to ditch them. No, he wants to redeem our bodies. So what Paul is getting at here in Romans chapter 8 is ever since the fall in Genesis 3, creation has been awaiting a renewal. Creation has been crying out for restoration. So when you see a tsunami or you see a hurricane, that's creation's way, like I said, of saying that this is not the way it's supposed to be. And along with creation, we await this renewal as well. We have been subject to, to bondage, to sin, to corruption. Our bodies decay no matter how much we work out and how many plants we eat. Our bodies decay. We struggle against sin and our hearts continue to tell us this world is not our home. So, so we, along with 
creation groan for the restoration that happens in Revelation chapter 21. So thankfully, God has not left us in bondage and death. He hasn't left the world to keep spinning. So some of you have this view of God that he kind of got the world spinning and then he just disappeared and he's doing other things. No, God has not left the world spinning to its own destruction, but has taken steps to restore the earth. And he's going to do it. So as we talked about in week two of this series, I'm trying to connect it for you. In week two of this series, God calls Abram. He says, have children. He's like 90-something years old. And he says, have children. And those children will become the people of Israel. We know today as the Jewish people, and out of the Jewish people comes Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who for all of eternity has experienced intimacy with God, the Father, and God, the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes. He lives the perfect life. He never sins once. He's tempted in all the same ways that each of us are. And then he dies on the cross for our sins. And then better yet, he rises from the grave and he declares death, sin, hell, and the grave defeated on Easter Sunday. And with Jesus, or Jesus' resurrection, he makes our future resurrection possible and the world's future restoration possible. So when you think about Jesus rising from the grave, know that if you're a Christian, that's where you're headed. The way that Jesus walks around after his restoration in the Gospels, that's going to be our bodies. He's eating food. He's walking through walls. Cool stuff's happening. That's where we're headed. I don't even know if it's about walking through walls, but that's just something that happens. So if that's going to be something God gives us, I'll take it. Like, like you know, less walking. Um, but anyways, so 1 Corinthians chapter 15 speaks of this. And we're going to look at this in small groups on a deeper level over the next few days. So I encourage you to go and check this out. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. So Christ is the second Adam who comes to purchase salvation for us. So the first Adam screwed it up. And the second Adam, Jesus Christ, comes and rises from the dead to make it possible for us to have eternal life. All right, verse 23. But each in his own, or, each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, so those who follow Jesus. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God, or kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. So he's talking about this first fruits thing. What is a first fruit? Well, I'm not going to get into explaining it, but pretty much... By first fruits, they're saying it's a sign. So when Jesus rose from the dead, it's like the first fruit. It's, it's the first one who rose from the dead. It's a sign that each of us who are followers of Christ will be risen from the dead to have eternal life and be given new bodies. So this is a sign that each of us are going to be risen from the dead. So uh, when Paul says fallen asleep, the Bible uses this uh, language a lot to refer to when we die. It's just referring to those who have died. So we go to this place where we fall asleep in a sense, or, or you, uh, the way I think of it, so when you die, you don't just go to the final place, okay? When you die, you're with Jesus in some type of heaven that we think of typically when we think of heaven. You've fallen asleep in a sense. You're with Jesus, and you're awaiting for Jesus to come back and set the world right. And then the new world is going to be our home. Does that make sense? So he says, those who have fallen asleep are awaiting for Jesus to raise everyone from the dead at the end to create this new world this new heaven and earth. So maybe that just like blows your mind because you've always thought of heaven as going to the clouds and floating and like that's the last place you're going to be. But no, we're going to go to some place in like an intermediate state where we're with Jesus in some sense, but then Jesus will come back and raise the dead and we will live on a restored heaven and earth. 
All right, so Revelation 21, verse 1 through 2 tells us that this earth, that this earth as it is will pass away, and God will create a new heaven and a new earth. The holy city will come down out of heaven, and we will, in a sense, go back to the garden before Genesis 3. So the first two chapters, the new heaven and earth will be a better version even of that, but it'll be similar to, or to what you see in Genesis 1 and 2. Through Jesus' victory at his resurrection, we will get back to the garden. We will get back to where Adam and Eve were. And we will again uh, just get to live in a world that's not subject to bondage and decay, in a world where we can walk with God. So one thing you must know, I'll say it again, is that this new heaven and earth is spiritual, yes, but also physical. There will be physical things that happen. So the physical world is not bad. You're not trying to escape the physical world. You're not going to sit on a cloud when you die. Instead, you're going to the spiritual place, like I said, and then Jesus will come back and raise the dead, and you'll get to be in this new city, the new Jerusalem that's talked about in Revelation chapter 21. It's going to be a place where our physical resurrected bodies are living with perfect harmony with God. We will do similar things to what we do now, and it will look similar to opening pages of Genesis. So get that tonight. I know that that could be a brand new thing for some of us. So how does this fact that God's going to do this, that God's going to recreate, or recreate the heavens and earth, affect us here and now? How is it going to change how we live today? Well, it affects us in the way that God cares about the physical world. The idea that God only cares about our souls and doesn't care about our bodies or the physical is not a Christian idea, believe it or not. It's actually an idea that was popularized by Plato in Greek philosophy. It's this dualistic understanding of the soul and body, that the body's bad, the soul is good, and God is just after saving the soul. So all of life in Plato's eyes was about escaping the body, about getting out of these stinking bodies. But Christians, we reject this idea. We reject that the physical world is bad, and we're just trying to get out of it. And we're not just waiting for Jesus to return and to destroy the world. No, we want to, to restore the world. The physical world is good. The body is good, and God cares deeply about it. And if God cares about the physical world, then we should be in the business of restoration. We shouldn't be a people who just, just let our bodies go to waste and let the world go to waste. Instead, we should care for it. So we need to take care of the physical world. We need to be agents of restoration on the earth, and we need to care about the planet, care about our bodies, and care about people, and seek to end injustices in our world. We don't simply tell People who are starving, oh, just hold on, you'll get to be in heaven soon. We don't just tell them that. No, we feed them because God cares about their bodies. We don't just look at injustices that are happening around the world and say, oh, Jesus is going to come back, so it's all good. No, today, right now, we work to restore the physical because God cares about this world. God cares about our physical bodies, and we need to be people who are about the things that God is about. So we need to bring heaven to earth through the way we live now, through caring for people, through proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, through loving our neighbor, through loving each other in this room, through loving God deeply. We don't just hold on for the rapture, but instead we bring heaven to earth now through the way we live. Can we do that as a people? God's calling us into that. Let's be people who care about this world. All right, so this leads me to my next point tonight. So we're going to read the rest of this again for a reminder, verses 3 through 8. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. 
and neither shall there be, or be mourning, nor crying, or pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne will say, Behold, I'm making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they're true. He says to me, It's done. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And now the verse we don't love, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, as for the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So second point, the last point. God will restore humanity's relationship with him and each other by ending sin and death. So we see here in verses 3 through 8 that God's not only going to restore the earth and return it to its former state as it was in the garden in Genesis 1 and 2, but he's also going to restore humanity. We're going to have restored relationship with God and with one another. God will live with us. God's dwelling place will be with us once again. He will walk with us once again. And we will be his people, and he will be our God. And we'll be able, so get this, tie this back to Genesis 12, the thing we talked about the second week. We're going to actually get to be able to be the people that God wanted Abraham to form, a people that actually loves God with their whole hearts, who obeys his laws, and who God's able to give all of himself to. See, Israel failed at that. Israel failed to be that people. But God is calling us to be that people at the end, to, to be a people who, who is truly wholly devoted to God and experiencing perfect relationship with him. So the spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham are heading to this new Jerusalem. So what do I mean by spiritual son and daughter? It says that Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith. So Abraham's sons and daughters are not just the Jewish people, but it's also those of us who have faith in Christ, the faithful Israelite. So the spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham are headed to this new city. And we're going to get to be the nation that God wanted us to be. And we'll get to walk with God. And we'll get to ask him about the mysteries of the universe. Some of you have some questions. You ask me them all the time. I'm like, I don't know. You got to wait till you can talk to Jesus about that. But perhaps we'll get to walk with him in the garden and ask him these questions that have perplexed us for centuries. Ask us, or to ask him these questions that are going to perplex us for our entire lives. Perhaps we'll get to ask God why we lost that person way too soon. God, why we lose that person way before they seemed to be ready. Perhaps we'll get to ask God why he didn't heal that person that we prayed for. Perhaps we'll get to ask God why he hasn't answered our prayers. Why he didn't do everything we thought he was going to do. And when God reveals these mysteries to us, it's all going to make sense. It's going to make sense. It won't cause us to mourn or cry, because there's no mourning or crying, but it will give us joy unspeakable. There'll be a profound understanding about the mysteries of the universe. The truth that the God over it all actually knew what he was doing all along, even when we think he doesn't, is going to give us profound, profound peace. And Jesus will say, I'm the Alpha. I'm the beginning. I'm the Omega. I'm the end. I've been in control all along. I was never surprised. I've had this plan since before the foundation of the world. And nothing that has happened in this world is wasted. But I'm in the business of restoration. I'm in the business of restoring all things that are broken. Everything that has happened in the history of the universe has been leading up to this point when I would create the new Jerusalem. And I would declare all things new. 
So in verse 6, it says that, that to the one who is thirsty, he will be given the spring of water of life without payment. So we'll get to live the life that we were always meant to live. We will get to live this life not through a payment of good deeds, okay? So no, God does not care about your good deeds or your church attendance or your halfway religiosity. No, we will not receive the spring of life of water through payment of our own accord, but instead through Jesus' payment on the cross. A spring of life of water without payment through Jesus. God himself pays our payment so we can have eternal life. He didn't owe that to us. It's all out of the graciousness of his heart. That should stir something in you. We're going to get to live this life of harmony with God and with one another. So the end is not something that we should be scared of or dread. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should, or should not be scared of it. You should not dread this. Instead, you should burst with hope, with excitement and joy that our home is not here, but our home is going to be the new heaven and earth. There should be joy that bursts within you. The place where we uh, were meant to live is going to be our home. A place of harmony and unity. A place, or a place of freedom and openness before God. So back in the first week of the series, Genesis 1-3, God says, let there be light. I talked about how Jesus is the word of God. So if Jesus is the word of God, then when God says, let there be light, Jesus comes on to the scene. And I connected it to the fact that Jesus calls each of us to live in his light. He calls us to live before him in his light. What's that mean? It means to live completely open before him, to surrender to him and say, Jesus, you have my life. I'm not going to hide anything from you. I'm going to do the things you tell me to, to do. I'm going to live in your light. We talked about that. And what's incredible about the end in Revelation chapter 21, if you read 23 through 25, is we finally get to wholly live in God's light completely. So let's read this really quick. It says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light. And its lamp is the Lamb. So the Lamb is Jesus, the Lamb of God. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night. So in this restored heaven and earth, we will no longer need the sun or the moon to light our days. But instead, God himself will light it. This is, this is not only physical, but it's also spiritual. We will no longer run from God in shame. We will no longer be hiding from him, but instead we'll be able to live openly before him. We'll be able to have the the relationship with him that each of us long to have and we'll be able to live in his light together with one another. And we won't hurt each other anymore. We won't take advantage of each other, but instead God's light will guide us as we interact with one another. But sadly, as we saw in verse 8, this new heaven and earth is not for everybody. The only way to God is through Jesus. And for those who reject Jesus and continue living their lives in the dark, who never repent of their sins and follow Jesus or Jesus and allow him to have his way, those who, or who make that choice will not get to be in this new heaven and earth. So verse 8, it just lists off all these sins and says that these people will not be able to live here, but instead they're going to be put in the lake of fire. So we can read a passage like this and think, well, the first thing we can think is we have to be perfect to get into heaven. Because we look at this list, I've screwed up a lot of these, like, ooh. And we think, wow, I can't get into heaven. There's no way I'm getting in. I'm a coward. Sometimes I don't have faith. Sometimes I'm a little detestable. 
But that's not what he's saying. John's not saying that, that, that those people who have sinned or, or that those of us who have sinned won't be able to get into heaven. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that those who have never repented of their sins but instead choose to live their life in such a way where the world revolves around them and they do whatever they want and they don't live in submission to God, those people who have never trusted in Jesus' sacrifice, those who have never said, Jesus, I want to follow you, I want to receive forgiveness of sin, those people are the ones who will not be able to be in this new heaven and earth. So that's a, the first thing we can struggle with. But the second thing is it's, it's tempting to get angry when we read something like this. You think about your parent or your brother or sister who doesn't follow Jesus, and, and you think that, that God might be sending them to the lake of fire. That doesn't cause you to get excited and joyful. And if it does, that'd be pretty strange, and you need help. <laughs> so you can read a passage like this and maybe wonder, is God good? Like, why doesn't he just make it possible for everyone to live in this new heaven and earth? To that, I would say two things. One, God is just. And he cannot allow any sin before him. You know, the reason Jesus had to die a gruesome death was to pay our penalty for sin. It shows how tragic, how, how de- or despicable sin is in God's eyes. He needs, like, the penalty for that sin to be able to stand before God is death. And Jesus pays it for us, thank God. So he's just. But the second thing I would say there's, is there is no one who's not going to be in heaven who wants to be there. There's no one who's going to be in hell who says, oh, I want to be in heaven. Those who go to hell, those who go to this lake of fire, they choose it. They truly do. If they were in heaven, they wouldn't even be happy because they don't want God. Hell is for a place, or hell is a place for people who want to live for themselves. That's why it's hell. That's why it's so tragic because the worst way to live your life is in a self-centered way. That's where you have the least joy. And hell is just a constant uh, pursuit of your own pleasure and passions, and it's never enough. You never get enough. And you never live the way you're meant to live, which is for God and other people. We were made to worship God and to care for our neighbor. And those people in hell don't want to do that. The the new heavens and the new earth are for people who want to live in the light of God's presence. If you don't want to live in God's light and presence now, why would you want to do it for eternity? Can I just be real? There's people in this room. I don't know who you are, but there's people in this room who, who you've been around the church your whole life. You've had opportunities to repent, and you continue to choose your own way. I don't think you're going to like heaven if you don't repent now. If you don't want to live in God's light now, how can you want to live in God's light then? That's why people go to hell. It's not because God just wants to send people there. It's not because God gets some gross joy from it. But instead, he only is going to invite people into the kingdom who want to be with him. He's not going to make anyone be there. C.S. Lewis, Lewis, he's a genius. You should read his books. He says it way better than I just did. So let's read his quote. He says, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And to those whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. And no soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it's opened. And that's the great divorce. If you want to read about heaven and hell, I encourage you to read that book. It's an incredible explanation of it. So with that said, the place that God is preparing is a place for those who love him. If you trust in Jesus, you will not be put to shame, but you're going to receive far more than you could ever imagine in the next life. You'll be able to live in a place where there's perfect harmony with God and with each other, where sin and death have no power, but God and his light will rule the day. 
So how does this truth apply to us now? I try to always apply it to today. I don't want to just talk about theology. I want it to change the way we live today. So it changes the way we live in a sense that, that God calls us to live as citizens of this kingdom right here and now, to live as representatives of this kingdom right here and now. So there's three things that I think we can do to live as citizens of this kingdom, and I'm just going to go through them quickly. First thing, if you're headed towards this new heaven and earth, today is the day to say, I'm going to make my relationship with God a top priority and be a signpost to all those around me that I'm living for a new world. I'm not living for this one. I'm living for a new one. I'm living for a coming kingdom. My life is not about me. My life is not about me pursuing my pleasures, but instead it's about living for God. Our lives need to be a testament that we serve a different master. If people in your culture or your context are serving a master, it could be money, it could be school, whatever, like you need to choose to say, I'm not going to serve that master. School will not come before God. Finances will not come before God. My girlfriend will not come before God because I'm a citizen of a different kingdom. I'm, I'm not a citizen of this one. I'm a citizen of a different kingdom. So the first thing, we need to make our relationship with God a top priority. The second thing is we need to love and care for people and for the world. So let's do some tree hugging, all right? Care about the earth. Don't throw your wrappers on the ground, all right? This is a side note. But, but we do, or do need to live as citizens of this coming kingdom by loving and caring for people, God's creation, and the earth, God's creation. Every interaction we have, every moment we take a breath needs to, or to be lived within this framework of being an agent of restoration. And the third thing, come on, this is what we're all about. Chi Alpha stands for Christ ambassadors, okay? So we're called to be messengers of the king, that this world is not our home. So the third thing we need to do is to invite others to join the kingdom. Guys, we need to be campaigning for this kingdom on this campus. All of, guys, the majority of our friends, like unless you just hang out with Christians, which I hope you don't, but the, the majority of the people that you walk by every single day, they're not headed to the new heavens and earth. Jesus said that, that the gate is narrow. The gate is narrow that leads to life. So the majority of the people that you're interacting with are headed to the lake of fire. There's no better way to say it. There's no way to say it. That sounds good. They're headed to the lake of fire. And we're so caught up in these lesser things. Our top priority is getting our homework done. Our top priority is hanging out with our girlfriend, who we're not going to marry anyways. And there are people all around you who are headed to hell. And you don't even care. I don't even care. because I'm so guilty. I'm so guilty of it at times, of not caring enough, of, of being so caught up in my own little world, and not seeing the people around me. Guys, we need to be Christ ambassadors on this campus and invite people to join the coming kingdom because it's the best way to live. No one's going to join the kingdom and say, oh, I wish I wouldn't have joined it. No, the kingdom, the coming kingdom, or the new heaven and the new earth, that's the way that each of us were created to live. That's the place where we were created to live. So we need to be people who are about inviting others to join the kingdom. So the main idea tonight is this. God will restore everything that is broken. If you lived on this earth for any period of time, you recognize that things are not as they should be. I don't think anyone in this room is a stranger to brokenness and sin. Perhaps you're sexually broken in this room. I know there's got to be a large percentage of people in this room who are sexually addicted to something. That's just the way it is. That's the or statistics. And you're sexually broken and you think that, that you can never get over that sin. Maybe that's where you're at tonight. You're thinking, this is just going to ravage me my entire life. And you're wondering if you'll ever find freedom 
Or maybe there are parts of your personality that you don't particularly like. I struggle with some parts of my own personality that you don't like and you're wondering, will you ever be able to overcome your bad habits and your traits that are not very pleasing to other people? Or maybe you're dealing with the pain of loss. Maybe you've lost someone and you're wondering, what in the world is God doing? Is he really good? Is he really faithful? Does he really love me? Or maybe your prayers aren't being answered or your dreams have not come true. If that's you, I want to encourage you tonight that God sees you. God sees you and he's not going to let anything happen in this world that's wrong or unjust. He's not going to let anything happen that he won't set right in the end. God is in the business of restoration. God is in the business of doing the impossible. Guys, I know from experience, I've been sexually broken. I've been addicted to pornography. For seven years, I was addicted to pornography all through middle school and high school. I thought I could never find freedom from it. But in a moment, the Holy Spirit breathed life over me, and it changed. The addiction was broken off my life. So if that's you tonight, I just feel like the Lord just putting that on my heart. Tonight, he gives us a specific thing to say. I just feel like someone's in here, and you're struggling with pornography or sexual sin. Jesus can free you from it tonight. He can free you from that. And if you're dealing with loss, Jesus can make your heart whole. You're never going to get that person back, but he can make your heart whole. He can be your peace. So tonight, maybe you just needed to be reminded that, that God is good despite our circumstances, that God is faithful, that he will do what he says he will do, and that God loves you, and that he will set everything right. So if you would stand with me tonight. With all this in mind, with, with God's restoration in mind, God is calling Chi Alpha, God is calling you to be a people of hope. He's calling us to live on this earth, not as citizens of this world, but as a people who, who make a conscious effort to reject the American dream, to reject the lifestyle that all our friends and family tell us to live, but instead live the lifestyle of the kingdom and to live as people who are going throughout the earth trying to restore anything we can get our hands on, whether that's God's creation, whether that's uh, just loving someone else, whether that's pushing back evil and injustice, whether that's making our relationship with him our top priority and restoring our own spiritual life. Our lives are meant to be signposts of another world that is coming. So let us live as kingdom citizens. And finally, let's allow this truth that Jesus is going to return to cause us to be like a child again, to stand before God and say, I cannot believe how good you are. I cannot believe you're going to set this right.